Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. Sometimes listeners want to know about triggers. I'm dealing with the aftermath of my husband's affairs, and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out. It's a job that allows him to hide his goings-on and one that he stated was the previous trigger for his acting out. The whole 16 and a half years we've been together, he's acted out. In the beginning, what I thought it was was just pornography. Um, It ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers? Well, of course you would feel traumatized by hearing all that information and I gotta tell you Stephanie that's a staggered disclosure that's finding out little bits and pieces about your husband's behavior throughout a time period making you feel insecure unsure and unsafe so what we gotta do is set up a situation whereby you get with a specialist to do a formal disclosure so you can hear everything at one time in a safe environment And I am here representing APSATS.org. That's A-P-S-A-T-S dot org. The only certification program that is specially designed to help partners with their trauma. We know that this is something that you've gone through where you've been incredibly devastated and the discovery has been really rough. You're probably feeling a lot of different feelings, flooded with feelings, including anxiety, sadness, depression, anger. Now, you might be one of these women that you just kind of curl up in the fetal position and you don't want to get out of bed. Or you might be relating to this whole traumatic event by being hypervigilant and not being able to sleep and dealing with your racing thoughts. Regardless, we're here to tell you that we can help you get healthy. And it does take a lot of work on your part because this is more than likely one of the most devastating things that have ever happened to you. But the good news is that you can grow stronger through this and learn healthier coping skills and great boundaries, whether you're with him or without him. You get to make that decision. And so today we're going to be talking with Evelyn. And Evelyn is a survivor. She has survived the ups and downs of her husband's chronic slips and relapses. And it's actually made her stronger. Um, She is writing a memoir so that she can 
inspire others to know their strengths and to know that they can get through it. So she's going to be talking about the many changes she's made, her story, what happened, and what coping skills she used to get through this ordeal. And let's face it, we all know that it's not like there's a a, a start, a middle, and an end. When betrayal has occurred like this, there will always be a little part of you that carries that with you because what you know that you need is to stay safe in an unsafe situation. Our very own Dr. Barbara Steffens quote that came from my sexually addicted spouse. And I know that most of you know that APSATS was actually organized and founded by Dr. Barbara Steffens. So not only did she write this incredible book, but she organized a training program to help counselors and coaches learn how to be more uh, clinically astute, partner sensitive, and to get us where we needed to be to help you through this tsunami of emotions and feelings. And so, again, you're going to hear all sorts of guests on this show. You're going to hear, you know, partners that have written out boundaries, partners that are writing out books. You're going to hear experts like Marie Krebs last week who talked about vulnerability and intimacy, Jen Cole who had her favorite polygrapher on, to talk about why using a polygraph test may really dramatically improve your relationship. we got so many people who have so much to contribute, and that's why we started this radio show. We wanted it to be specifically for you. And um, that's what I really love about the show is that It's educational for me as a clinician and a coach. I get to hear the newest, the greatest um, philosophical and psychological treatments that help get you through this. For instance, today I was talking to a partner, and I got to say, the sex addict that she loves is really struggling. He has struggled for years and years and years prior to meeting me as his clinician, and now I'm working with her. And I'm working with her um, from a coaching perspective because she lives in another state. And one of the things that she wanted was to slow down the racing thoughts. You know, when you ruminate about things, you wonder, is this the person that's right for me? Is he getting tired of my emotionality because I'm getting tired of his slips and relapses? And so one of the things that um, I talked to her about was using a three-second rule for partners. You may have heard of the three-second rule for sex addicts, and, you know, that is where you become aware of a trigger if you're an addict, and then 
you redirect that thought, and then you think of something pleasant to substitute the trigger. Well, in this case, with this partner, I asked her to use the three, um, the formula with the three A's. And what it is, is when you've got some racing thoughts and you just can't stop thinking about it, the first thing you do is alert your brain. Because I promise you that the more you practice this, the better you get at it. You know, at first it's pretty involuntary. I mean, it just shows up and you think, I don't know how to get rid of it. So you use the A, alert, Okay, there's that thought. Uh, That's not a helpful thought. That makes me feel bad about myself. So you become alerted to it. Then you avert it. You say, you know what? I am not going to hold on to this thought. Instead, I'm going to think about the fact that I believe a run in the rain and feeling the raindrops on my face may actually be self-soothing and beneficial to the physical energy I'm feeling in my body. So you avert the thought by something that is absolutely in the moment. You may think, oh, it's raining outside, but instead see if you can turn that around and go, maybe I'll just go run in the rain and feel the raindrops on my face. So after alert and avert, Your next A is affirm, and I want you to affirm yourself. I want you to tell yourself, yeah, I'm having a rough time right now. He is slipping and relapsing, and it's very, very scary. And yet what I know about this is that I can keep myself safe. I am a strong, powerful woman. And I've got the tools that it takes to make my life better. And so you've affirmed yourself and you've empowered yourself to really know and and understand that you do have some choices here. You know, I just did a um, YouTube last night, and I have not. I actually did the regular YouTube for the for the population that may need help with something. But then I did a special YouTube for you all on forgiveness and uh, how to know when it's time to forgive. Now, you know, we can all use that life lesson in all sorts of situations. Your colleague does something mean to you. Your sister says something horrible to you. Your father walked out on you as a child. You know, those are life circumstances that can happen to the general population. And yet, when you're a betrayed partner, the forgiveness can run so much deeper because the pain is so much deeper. And so I promise you that I will release this video tonight on how you, as a very strong, resilient person, someone who's gone through partner betrayal, how you can forgive, not for him, or if you're a a male partner listening to this show, not for her, but for yourself. 
so that you no longer have to carry around all that anger and all of that resentment and all that vindictiveness. I call it retaliation. You know, what I do know to be true is when someone's been betrayed, those are all very normal thoughts. And you got to feel them, you got to acknowledge them, you got to honor them, and then you got to let them go. And for some people, they can do that, you know, within months. For other people, it takes a few years. And for some people, a few decades. But you get to make the choice that that's what you're going to work on. And when you do, you will come closer to being on the road to recovery and good mental health. See, you deserve all the best in life. And if you're carrying around a lot of toxicity, it's going to be a lot harder to find it. So... You might check out this video. Uh, You can actually go to Carol the Coach and look at the other video on forgiveness, but like I said, I promise to release that tonight. And I had a, a partner inspire me about that because she came in a few days ago and she said, you know what, I didn't ever think I'd feel like this, but I'm ready to forgive him. God has talked to me and and." said it's time to forgive him so that you can move on with your emotions and uh, I thought that was interesting because I um, shared with her that at one point I was very very angry with my husband um, about the way he had had talked to me and I went to bed mad, I went to sleep in the car mad, I gave him the silent treatment, I was mad. I had never been that mad. Well, I mean, I've been that mad, but not at him. And he's a really good guy. So in the morning, I have this exercise on Sundays where I ask God how I can work for him or how he can work through me. And um, I wait to listen. And sometimes he tells me how to do that, and then sometimes he just gives me something for me, like slow down, Carol, or, um, you know, call your mother, you know. It just depends. And that day, that morning, I had awakened to, you know, still being really mad at my husband and looking forward to my conversation with God, and so I was being real quiet and listening, and all of a sudden he said to me, Take better care of your husband. And I was like arguing with him. I'm like, ah, take better care of my husband. You have got to be kidding me. He cursed your name. He cursed me. He was horrible. I won't ever let anybody talk to me like that. And I just went on and on and on and argued with God. And I heard it again. So what did I do? I got up, shaking my head. I went downstairs, I fixed my husband a cup of coffee, which I usually do, but he likes cold coffee, so I keep it on the counter. Well, I brought it up to bed, and I laid back in bed, and I said, hey, honey, your coffee's on your bedside. Do you want me to rub your back before we go to church? And his one eye opened up, and he looked at me like I was crazy. Like, he knew I'd gone to bed furious. (laughs) I know he was thinking who is this woman? 
But, of course, he shook his head vigorously, yes. He wanted me to rub his back. So I rubbed his back, and then I got up. I kissed him on his forehead. I said, let's get ready for church. Coffee's on the side of the, the bed. And we had the best day ever. He couldn't get enough of me at church. He couldn't hug me enough. He couldn't rub my knee enough. And um, I just thanked God. I said, thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you for telling me what to do. I know I argued with you, but thank you so much because you really helped me to turn it around, which then, of course, helped him to turn it around. And um, we had a really good day. So the moral of the story is if you want to know more about forgiveness, um, stay tuned to my YouTube, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, or just Carol the Coach, and I promise you um, there's a little formula on how to forgive. So now today I'm talking with Evelyn, and she is in the midst of writing a memoir about her life. And um, I just thought she had a lot to share, so I asked her if she could talk with us today a little bit about what she's learned about herself and her recovery tools. So, Evelyn, welcome to the show. Hi, Carol. I'm so happy to be on your show again. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And, you know, you do. You have quite the story. And I'm wondering, you know, you have um, sent me chapters, and I know that you felt betrayed. Is that going to be the name of your memoir? Well, actually, the name is going to be I Love You, I Miss You, I Wish You Were Dead. (laughs) Okay, I I can understand that. I love you, I miss you, I wish you were dead. Um, But tell me then, because you talk a lot through this memoir about betrayal, what is your definition for betrayed? What do you define as betrayal? Yeah, um, for me, it was that I felt that everything I thought I had um, was a complete facade and never was really true, and it was kind of all taken away from me, um, really because of his actions and my inability to handle it correctly, I believe. so. I got that. That was And, and so you have... Um, Defined betrayal with your own personal definition, and it sounds like betrayal can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So, Evelyn or Eve, would you mind if I call you Eve? That's fine. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what happened to you. How did you find out about this betrayal? Well, I had a feeling that um, Rowan, my husband, was um, a little bit different. Something wasn't quite right. So I was on an alert uh, mode, and um, I actually had to look at our phone records for some other reason. And I saw many, many, many um, calls and texts to um, numbers that were out of state, just unfamiliar. I did a little bit of investigation as far as looking them up online, and they were all prostitutes, and that pretty much triggered everything else, you know. Um, and then later on, I, you know, saw many other things on a whole nother 
issues. So that was the beginning of it. Okay, so can you share a little bit about the infidelity or the abuse? I mean, what actually, how did he act out? Oh, wow. Well, when I would approach him, and I did so very cautiously, he would get incredibly angry, and he was the victim. I was the perpetrator, a lot of projection, yelling, cursing, verbally abusing um, me, and emotionally as well, which um, progressed to some physical abuse, and it was pretty much impossible to talk to him about my concerns. now you say it was virtually impossible. Was that because he didn't? He lacked empathy. He didn't know how to put himself in your shoes. Oh, absolutely. I believe um, he, and I don't know if he even wanted to, but he just really could not. Um, he could not understand my concerns. Uh, there was a total lack of um, concern for my feelings and wanting to talk it out and uh, that kind of thing. We never, ever had one civil conversation regarding this issue. Wow. Um, and yet, you've been with him for how long? Oh, it um, about three years. It wasn't incredibly long, but about three years. And when did the two of you separate? Um, actually, last year in November. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I know that, you know, part of your story is that you emotionally separated several times while you were still together. And, you know, it was like you weren't done until you were done. And so many partners, um, they don't know where that spot is. They don't know when they should call it quits. They don't know how many chances they should give. They understand that this is an addiction. And yet, for me, I'm always telling partners, you know, you're very resilient and you have to decide when you've had enough. When it has taken a toll on you to the degree that it outweighs any benefit of staying. So how did you know when enough was enough? Um, well, you know, he would, um, he was not honest with being in, in recovery at all. Uh, he just pretty much went through the motions as far as meetings and that kind of thing. Um, he was still looking up porn on the internet, um, had secret, you know, emails and was on different apps and, you know, so on. And, you know, the the lack of empathy, he just, he pretty much, I felt ignored. I felt like I didn't belong, you know, with him or in that house, which was, you know, a big disappointment because initially I was super excited to be part of his life. I was very happy. And um, it, it just got worse. It got worse and worse. And then the the thing that I found out that really made me, well, let me say this, our marriage ended before it even began. Uh and so I found out that, well, I had great suspicion that he had actually had an affair with my daughter. And um, since then, I know it to be true. So that that was just, I can't even explain 
emotional torment that that caused me. Well, absolutely, and and we need to clarify for the listening audience that your daughter was over the age of 18, correct? Yes, she was. So it was not a molestation. It was betrayal at its worst. Um, And you had this intuitive knowing that something wasn't right there. So how did you discover that? Well, you know, first of all, she was, you know, 20 years younger than he was. And and they both had a history, uh, you know, of being promiscuous and that kind of thing. And um, she lived with us for a while. And one day I thought when I walked into one of the rooms unexpectedly that I saw him kiss her. Uh, I said, did you just kiss her? And, you know, I look back now and their reaction was surprising. They didn't get angry. They didn't get defensive. They just kind of didn't know what to say. Um, And then the phone logs again, uh, they had many, many texts and calls to one another throughout about mm, two years. And so, you know, that's completely not appropriate. What would they be talking about? And, um, Whenever she would visit, you know, the glances, the flirting behind my back and that kind of thing. Oh, my gosh. You know, that is such a double betrayal. It, it's the yeah. worst thing a man can do to a woman, and it's a horrible thing for a daughter to do to her mother. Where are you in your relationship with your daughter right now? Um. I try to be civil with her, and I'll be honest with you, it's really only because of her children, my grandchildren. Otherwise, and I know this may not be right, I really don't want really anything to do with her. You know, they both deny it and both call me insane and many names. And I just, you know, it wasn't, I just didn't know what to do. You know, I really didn't know what to do. But we don't really speak or visit very much at all. Okay, so what I hear you saying is that there is some contact because of the grandchildren, but your relationship with her is estranged. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not there yet. I, I can't do it. Yeah. So what I... I want to ask because obviously you also share in this memoir that that there might be a chance that her baby is his. What makes you think that? Well, I know for a fact that they continue to see one another even after our marriage. And um, she hid this pregnancy until she was eight months pregnant. And the only time I saw her even looking pregnant, the first time she ever wore even a maternity shirt was at my house and pretty much prancing around and happy and letting him see it. And so she was super comfortable with that, yet she hid it from all of us, you know, almost until the time she delivered. That that was kind of bizarre. And the fact that they were still communicating, and he refuses to do a paternity test, so... And I I think the baby looks like him. Yeah. Well, so 
Angie, I happen to know that you have a good job. You're a professional woman uh, of high standing. How in the world did you maintain your sanity? It's one thing when a man cheats or goes to prostitutes or massage parlors or gets caught voyeuring, but it's another thing when it's in your own backyard. How did you deal with this emotionally, and what what tools did you use to pull yourself out of the darkness that this had to have caused? Right. You know, in my eyes, it was the absolute worst betrayal that, you know, as far as a marriage of what a husband could do to a wife. And I, I was so devastated at first, just completely devastated, cried all the time and just didn't know what to do. And that went on for a while. And then slowly I started thinking, well, you know, is it worth it, you know, to try to talk to them, get them to pretty much like admit it? So I would have a little bit of closure. That, of course, was completely impossible. They were not even close to doing that, even when I'd show them proof. And um, so I began to really focus on other things that I had that made me happy and um, pretty much told myself I'm not going to waste my time with this. And unlike some people, you know, I was not going to go to counseling. I knew that I had to leave, uh, you know. And once I did, I got a lot of help from um, friends, uh, going to meetings, uh, talking to you, of course, and, and that, just some support, you know. You need you need people at this point in time. You absolutely need people. You need professionals um, at that and so forth. Well, I absolutely agree. As a matter of fact, I'm always saying the connection is the antidote for mm-hmm. good mental health. And so what I heard you saying is that you went to group, um, support groups, and which, which groups did you go to? Well, we had That's some honor. Um, yeah, well, I did that as well. And um, there was a group that was specifically for women in my exact position who had um, been, you know, traumatized by husbands that were specifically sex addicts. So, so that helped too. Yeah, was that an online group or was that a face-to-face group? It was a face-to-face group. I was very lucky to find this. It, sure. You know, they're more to find. Yeah. Okay, so now let me ask you, um, what would you say were your primary feelings that you experienced as you were kind of discovering all this? Because you, before your daughter, before you knew about that, you were already very suspicious. So when did you first become suspicious of the fact that he had a wandering eye, he did have a sexual addiction, he was looking for other people at all times. Yeah. I I first became suspicious actually not long after I met him and, and we were dating and getting serious um, as far as our relationship. And I talked to him about it. You know, he promised to me that that was in the past. It was done. He had handled it, gone to, gone to meetings, counseling and I believed him you know I think in in my situation you want to believe you know 
And I did. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, later on I found out that was certainly not the truth as far as phone logs and online, you know, history. And then, of course, it progressed to the issues with my daughter. So I I knew it very, well, pretty much right away. Um, Looking back now, I, I probably should have done something a little differently maybe. But, you know, that's how it all started. Okay, and so do you have any regrets based on all your feelings and everything that's happened to you? Do you have any regrets? Wow, that's kind of a a difficult question for me, but, you know, I uh, I guess no, surprisingly. I... I guess I regret that I ever met him in the first place, but as far as how our relationship progressed, I don't have regrets. And once I found out, um, you know, I tried to talk to him, that kind of thing. I eventually left. You know, it was it didn't work for us. But looking back now, I it wasn't me. You know, it, so it wasn't me. It was him. And. Um, I'm happy with myself. I don't really have that many regrets. I think I handled it the best way that I could. Well, I like that. I like that you are not being hard on yourself. Yes, there's a party that thinks, wow, I wish I hadn't even met him. And yet I want to ask you, what did you learn about yourself and how did you grow stronger as a result of this horrible, horrible ordeal? You know, well, I learned that I never had experienced this kind of pain in my life. I learned that I never could have imagined. Um, I mean, it's physically painful, and I've always heard that. I, it's hard to understand till it happens to you. But I was so devastated initially. I, I, I didn't, you know, I acted out. I, You know, and then I realized, you know, this is not me. I'm strong. I'm, you know, I think clearly and logically. I had good intuition, but at first I was so devastated I couldn't even function almost, you know. It it affected my job, my relationship with friends and family. And then, you know, I began reading, meditating, you know, counseling and, and that kind of thing and blog sites, you know, interacting with other women. And that helped. It really helped me focus on something differently and slowly I begin to realize, you know, I have a lot going for me, and I can handle this. It's difficult, but, but I will. You know, I'm not going to let them destroy me. You know, so that that's pretty much how I handled it. I, you know, got more involved in my artwork and, and you know, with friends and, and that kind of thing, and, you know, that helped a lot. Slowly I began to feel better about myself, and I wasn't so scared. There was a lot of fear initially a lot of fear in many ways and um i slowly began to handle it in, in that respect well that's a good point because you know i always say there are five primary feelings anger sadness loneliness fear and happiness and there are so many feelings that fall under the heading of fear you know being afraid being anxious being terrorized uh, and and i know that it can feel real tough. Now, when you said you had fear, 
because every woman that goes through this has fear. Um, mm-hmm. What were you the most fearful of? Honestly, um, even though I considered myself a pretty independent person, I was very fearful of the future, and I did not want to be alone. Um, I was really ready and happy to have this, you know, with this relationship, and suddenly it was taken away from me. And I, I experienced a lot of fear. What do I do now? What do I do? Which one of the biggest things. And, um, you know, just what's going to become of me, and will this always happen to me? Do I have, you know, poor uh, judgment with uh, men in relationships, you know, that kind of thing? Um it's just a lot of fear of being alone. I think that's one of the biggest things. Yeah, I get that. And as you as you're talking, you're kind of not breaking up, but if you can put that phone on a flat surface, it may pick up your conversation even better. Um, okay. So now I want to know: Was there any time when you really to work together? You know, uh, because so many women, they give it a shot. They try it over and over and over again. So I, mm-hmm. was there a time that you did some intense couples work or where you, you know, talked to your pastor or, you know, sought professional help as a couple? Not not really, honestly, Carol. Um I I went to a counselor with him twice, and, you know, he was pretty much telling the counselor something that wasn't true at all, and I just kept thinking, you know, he's outright lying. And I pretty much almost got up and left, although I did like the counselor, so I stayed. And, you know, like I said before, it was completely impossible to connect with him. So, no, well, you know, that's all I did. Honestly, that's all I did, aside from trying to speak to him, which, you know, if you can't speak and communicate, you know, that's where it stops, unfortunately. Well, 100%. We we always say that you don't even begin to work on couples work until a, a full disclosure has occurred and somebody's in good recovery. And he never was in good recovery and that full disclosure followed by a polygraph test never occurred. And so he really wasn't ready to do the work. And you definitely describe him as a man who wasn't motivated. He was still wanting his cake and to eat it too. Oh, yes. Um, that made me feel really useless and worthless and you know, and then the abuse, uh, he he wasn't about to fully disclose anything or or talk. And so, yeah, it was very difficult to try to handle it and get him to cooperate and work together. Yeah, so obviously I had said, what tools are you using? And you are writing this book, and... It, it, I always encourage my clients, both addicts and partners, to externalize their thoughts and feelings and put it on paper or on the computer um, because it it keeps them from feeling so locked up inside. So 
tell us a little bit about this book and what do you want to accomplish with it? Well, first of all, I find that it's, um, well, therapeutic for me. You know, writing it down, reading it, seeing it helps me accept it. And, you know, honestly, I really, really want to help other women who are in this situation. I think the book will be very helpful um, to them, and I want to help. I want to help other women have some insight and as to what I went through the, the hard way, you know. I feel an obligation to do something positive from this, and that's the best way that I think I could do that. Well, I really admire the fact that you have this compassion for women and you want to move this forward. And, you know, in so many of the 12-step meetings, that that 12-step is all about giving back. And so you've made it your own personal mission to help other women because you know what a crisis state this leaves women in. Now, I, I just want to know, has it made you a stronger person? Wow. You know, it made me realize that as difficult as something can be, there's always a solution. There's always a solution. If you think clearly and and it takes work you know but there's always a solution and you know i i slowly started realizing you know what you're stronger than you believe you are and it's not scary you know to be alone and to separate myself from everything i thought i had and just you know a lot of um i had to turn inward and focus I can't explain to you how much I was devastated initially. And if I can come out, you know, if I can be okay with this through everything I told you I did, then I, you know, I know I can. And I think I could face almost anything, you know, after something that traumatic. Got it. Got it. Well, you know, I've always admired you because you are a professional woman and you really help people anyway. I won't necessarily out what you do for a living, but you definitely help people, and you're a wonderful artist. Uh, do you sell your art? Oh, yes, I, I certainly do, and I do a lot a lot of commission work. And, yes, I sell my art, and um, it's really fun. It's, it's a lot of fun, and it's a wonderful outlet for me. I know you always talked about that. And for me, this is this is it, you know. And 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 I, I'm also productive, you know. I can share my artwork and you know that kind of thing. So it helps me in more than one way. Well, that's a good point. I I believe whenever a partner is creative and has that creative outlook, it really allows their mind to calm down in a special way. Because you and I both know that this kind of trauma causes the amygdala in the back of the brain to go into fight, flight, or freeze mode, and then, you know, the executive functioning in the front of the brain goes offline, and it's hard for women to think and trust their intuition and know what to do next. And whenever you can do art or write your feelings down or create a book, um, Mm -hmm. you're you're allowing that brain of yours to, to slow down 
and feel safe again. Right. And, you know, as I'm doing this, writing the book and thinking and doing my artwork, I anything else. And so it completely takes my mind off of it, like you said. Yeah, I get that. Absolutely. So um, when do you think the book will be done? It's going to be a couple more months. I, you know, sometimes I just can't write and I have to put it down. And then I get inspired again, and and I write more. But I'm I'm hoping within the next two months it should be done, and I'm excited for that. Okay, and it's kind of a joint project, isn't it, Angie? Yes, you know, um, Carol, you are co-authoring with me, and the book is really wonderful because it talks about my, you know, issues as as someone experiencing it and then you are adding annotations on a clinical level so you know the reader is going to get a lot of good advice from a professional you and you've been really helpful and it's going to be a wonderful addition to the book I think the book is going to be really good for a lot of women well yes and this memoir really does share her story and so that's the wonderful thing about it however I I share annotations so that I share a paragraph or two each chapter to help women to understand that their feelings are normal and natural and that they don't have to be imprisoned by them, that there are things that they can do to feel better, regardless of whether that addict gets healthy or that addict doesn't. And Luckily for me, it's my experience that most addicts want help and they want to get healthy and they want to have a good relationship. And Angie, yours sounded so, he sounded like he just never, ever, ever got healthy. Mm -hmm. He didn't know how to do that. No, and and he didn't want to either. Uh, he never worked on it. He continuously lied to to me, his counselors, you know, um, his support groups, everyone. He never stopped at all. Um, he actually laughed and made fun of the fact that, that of the advice I was giving him and how important counseling was um with the C stat and that that kind of thing, he actually laughed, mocked me and made fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. So no insight whatsoever. No, yeah, and it sounds like me. he spent a lot of time gaslighting you. Um do you know what that term yeah. means? Yeah. And yeah. so many women experience that in early recovery and, you know, prior to recovery. Uh, men don't know how to get honest, and they continue to lie, which, of course, makes the normal partner feel crazier. Right. Um, he was just, it, it was impossible. Anytime I would bring it up and try to have a civil conversation with him, uh, you know, suddenly it was an extreme yelling uh, thing with him, degrading me, calling me every horrible name in the book. And I was a horrible person. I wanted to just ruin him. I won't be happy until, you know, I, I 
take him down and I should live in my own misery because he's not going to. It, it was it was really bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Well, I definitely believe that you have gained a lot of strength. You're channeling it in the right way. You're making a difference in this world. And, Eve, I just really commend you for your determination and your persistence and your tenacity because so many women want to crumble when this occurs and they aren't able to get back up without a lot, a lot of support from the recovery of their husband, and you just never got that. So, I mean, you really experienced betrayal after betrayal after betrayal, both with him, your daughter, and, you know, his multiple affairs and episodes. Correct, correct. Um, I felt completely disrespected. It totally ruined my trust for him. After trying... Uh, to talk and that kind of thing for, you know, a, a long time, no full disclosure. He's just, you know, and I felt, you know, once the trust is truly, truly shattered and, and there's no communication, it's, for me, it was impossible once we got to that point. Got it. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listening audience, Eve, before we... um move on um i think that they all women need to remember they are not alone they need support Um, yeah and and a lot of women have shared this they are not alone and there are ways that they could you know get support and understand there are people who will understand it's not such a horrible thing that they a taboo thing that they can't talk about It, it happens way more than we believe and the book, the the book is going to be very insightful. I think it's going to give a lot of women some hope, some good professional advice, and I'm really excited about that as well. Well, thank you again, and and I'll be letting our listeners know when the book is finished, and then we'll have you back on to talk more about um, how you've grown through this and around it because clearly you experienced a lot of devastation and you didn't allow it to keep you down. You're an inspiration to many, and I appreciate you calling in today. Well, thank you so much, Carol. Um, I hope we talk again soon, and I really appreciate the chance to be on your show. Absolutely. You know, this is a show that's dedicated to partners only. So... I am just so pleased to have it. It is APSAT sponsored, which means that APSAT is that organization that trains clinicians and coaches to be partner sensitive. So we're all working together here to make it work. Yes. All right, Eve. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Carol. Hope so, and you have a great day. Okay. Yeah, that's an inspirational woman. I mean, she's really dealt with a lot, and she just keeps on keeping on. And, you know, I am always encouraging partners to write poetry, to write articles, to write memoirs, to write training guides, to do art, 
to um, write songs. I mean, anything you can think of to get your message out there and to externalize the feelings is going to be healthy for you. Now, in all fairness, this topic, partner betrayal and sex addiction, is still something that you have to make a choice about when it comes to who to share your story with. We know that it's not always safe to get on the pulpit at church and share your story or to do a segment on TV about your life. But clearly the act of externalizing your feelings, your thoughts, and your beliefs is always a healthy decision. If you are considering doing that or if you are doing that, please keep it somewhere safe so that the kids don't find it, so that your husband doesn't find it. You know, this should be your own personal thought about your own personal journey kept in a very special place um, so that you know you're safe. So, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I'm always glad to interview people that have something to contribute to this field. We're all resources for each other, and the reason I asked Eve about her group was because AppSats has a lot of coaches groups that are online for all of you that may not have um a face-to-face group available. Eve was very lucky to be able to do that. So, if you're feeling alone and you don't feel like you've got enough resources, look into that. It sounds like it was absolutely a turning point for Eve in her own recovery. And, you know, as I say at the end of the show, there will always be only you at all times, and I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. You know, what we know is that each one of us needs to find at least one or two people to be open, honest, and vulnerable with, because that's when true intimacy can occur, and yet it's got to be in a safe environment. So put that all together and create some resources for yourself. We will see you next week for more Betrayal Recovery Radio. Thanks for being with us today. For more information, go to AppSats.org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.